0: Well, thank you for joining me today on Financially Speaking. My name is Mitch Slater. I'm a Senior Vice President and Financial Advisor with UBS Wealth Management in Westfield, New Jersey. Where along with my partners, Anne and Crystal, we do our best to bring you advice beyond investing and address our clients' most challenging financial needs. It's my sincere hope that each and every episode of this podcast will educate you on personal finance and real-life business issues of the day. So let's jump right in. In 2019, number one bestselling author Brad Meltzer with Josh Mensch wrote The First Conspiracy, The Secret Plot to Kill George Washington, a national bestseller that was widely praised by critics, historians, and two U.S. presidents for its meticulous research and propulsive narrative. Meltzer and Mensch returned to uncover another fascinating episode previously lost to history in The Lincoln Conspiracy, The Secret Plot to Kill America's 16th President, and Why It Failed. And it's out now, published by Flatiron Books and available everywhere. Try to get it at your local bookstore if you can. In our current climate of uncertainty and fear, this book is a reminder of the capacity for American greatness in the form of one of its most lauded and inspirational heroes, Abraham Lincoln, and truly one of mine too. Brad Meltzer is another hero of mine. He's the number one New York Times bestselling author of just to Throw a few names out there The Inner Circle, The Book of Fate, The Escape Artist, 10 other best selling thrillers, and parents, listen closely. The Ordinary People Change the World kids book series. We could do an entire show on that alone. His newest kids book is I Am Leonardo da Vinci. Brad has a whole series of these. We'll touch on it later. By the way, Brad is one of the only authors I'm aware of to ever have books on the bestseller list for nonfiction, children's books comic books, for which he won the prestigious Eisner Award. And if that doesn't keep this guy busy enough, Brad does TV. Currently, Xavier Riddle and the Secret Museum, which is a TV series based on his children's books that can be seen every day on PBS Kids. He has also been the host of Brad Meltzer's Lost History and Brad Meltzer's Decoded on my favorite channel, the History Channel. The Hollywood Reporter recently put him on their list of Hollywood's 25 most powerful authors. And this story, which quite frankly, I love more than anything, and I, I just have to mention because it's just so special, Brad is also the guy responsible for helping find the missing 9-11 flag that the firefighters raised at Ground Zero, making national news back on the 15th anniversary of 9-11. Using his TV show, Brad Meltzer's Lost History, he told the story of the missing flag and asked Americans for their help in returning it. Four days later, a former Marine walked into a fire station in Everett, Washington, said he saw Brad's TV show and now wanted to return the flag, which Brad had the honor to unveil at the 9-11 Museum here in New York, where it is now on permanent display. So Brad, big opening, but there's lots to say. Welcome to Financially Speaking.
1: Thanks for having me. This is a long time coming.
0: I know, I know. First, I trust the Meltzer clan in Florida and New York are doing well during this difficult time in our lives. It is a
1: crazy time. I try to show my kids. I said, this is what when you're seeing history be written. So take note.
0: Yeah. That is, it's a really great way of looking at it. And, and I've talked to my son about that a lot, actually, lately. So full disclosure here, Brad and I have met a few times as he and my cousin, Judd Winnick, who you may remember from MTV's The Real World, San Francisco, and is a very successful comic book and children's book writer himself with his own superhero. I always get this wrong. Does he call it Hilo or Hilo? Hilo. 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 Okay. I don't know. For some reason, I always think of maybe Hilo for Hawaii for some reason. So Hilo series, they're fantastic books and and they're a lot of fun. So as Brad knows that despite all of his books, his accolades to me, because I always bug him about this, I will always be grateful and forgive me for going off script again, but for his writing of honestly, of one of my favorite one year only fictional TV series, Jack and Bobby, which aired in 2004 and 2005 on the WB network. It explored two young boys, one who would become an important president in the 2040s, and sadly, the other who might not live past his youth. If you loved Mad Men, then you would appreciate this show, as it co-starred John Slattery and Jessica Perret. And in my opinion, that's why they got cast in Mad Men.
1: And Matt Long was on there, too. Oh, that's right.
0: There we go, the trifecta.
1: Yeah, our Jack was on there, yeah. They definitely liked our casting. And one of our writers, Davi Waller, worked on Mad Men as well.
0: Well, there you go. I knew there had to be a connection. I knew it. If you can ever watch this series, it's remarkable. Brad, is it out there anywhere? You know what? Every couple
1: months, someone puts it up on YouTube and then I think it gets taken down. So I don't even know where to watch it. But it's, I mean, I was just showing my kids the first episode because my oldest is finally old enough to appreciate it.
0: Well, it's terrific. And I hope somebody somehow gets it up on Netflix or Amazon and pays the rights and gets it because it's just it's just a terrific series and and just absolutely mesmerizing. So before we get into the book, I wanted to throw in a question that was sent in by a fan of yours and my show. He wanted to know who would win a fight between the Avengers and the Justice League?
1: Yeah, right. That is a that is Judd Winnick written all over it. <laughs> so yes that is my best friend from college oh i could smell that a mile away we used to spend many a night he was a marvel kid i was a dc kid and we would spend many a night in college to show you how nerdy we were debating who would win the justice league or the avengers and we would literally even go down break down fight by fight you know if you put superman versus the hulk if you put captain america versus batman and that pretty much will tell you the extent of our social life i think
0: And that is exactly what Judd said your response would be, because I literally wrote that down. (laughs) And obviously, you, like Judd, love your comic books and superheroes. And Judd was into, you know, as long as I've known Judd, you know, since he's about eight years younger than me, he always was. And speaking of that, we'll have to throw this in, because while you were at the University of Michigan, and I'm throwing it in only, folks, because you can go to bradmeltzer.com and see this video. Because if someone had told me this, I wouldn't believe it. But Brad dressed up as Spider-Man one day and built a Velcro wall and threw himself at it. I did. I
1: stuck and stuck to the wall. It was spectacular. In fact, the Velcro came from the stand-up comedians the Sklar Brothers, who are well-known comedians today. Their father sold industrial Velcro, and I built the entire suit. I brought it to a tailor in Ann Arbor, Michigan. We only wanted to test it once because we felt like if it didn't work and the suit ripped, we didn't have money to buy a new one. So I jumped onto the wall and it worked perfect. I actually stuck to the wall, but it takes a moment for it. Like Velcro is kind of a hook and ladder kind of grab. It grabs that filthy part, but it takes a couple half, you know, a, a picosecond before it hooks together. So you, you slide down the wall a centimeter or so until it grabs and it split my pants right in half on stage. So that was the other great, spectacular moment to be able to have that happen in front of a couple hundred people.
0: Hey, that's what it's all about and having the video of that. And I have some, I guess I have my my appearance on Love Connection. So we all have these videos in our lives that crazy at the time, but but years later, so much fun to have. All right, let's talk Lincoln. But first, like me, Brad, you have a true love of history. I've always loved the Martin Luther King quote personally. We're not makers of history. We are made by history. And I know for me, being born on the day JFK was elected, my earliest memory in life was the day JFK was assassinated, and I've always been a true history buff. So what's your story in not only respecting history, but wanting to investigate it and ultimately write about it?
1: You know, I I just was the subject that I always responded to. I went, even in high school, my 11th grade teacher, I remember brought in, Miss Sherman brought in... It was a JFK conspiracy movie. And it wasn't one of those kooky, crazy conspiracy ones where it was like, it was LBJ and it was this one and it was the Cubans and it was, the, it was everybody who killed JFK. But it was one of those ones that actually asked the questions that still need to be asked today, which is how does Jack Ruby get through an entire police station full of cops and nobody stops him with a gun, right? Like, I actually think about that a lot. Right. I mean, wh- how does Lee Harvey Oswald go to Russia as a Marine at the height of the Cold War, and nobody bats an eye and nobody notices, like, these are just questions that even to this day make no sense. And it was like she was kicking the foundations of my brain, where she, you know, it just made me realize that there's so much more out there. And and that was just what I always came to. And I think also, I watched my own parents in the way that they were raised, their personal history just played so much into, had such an impact in who they were that it just became, I can't say I did it because I thought that indeed history, as Mark Twain says, does not repeat itself, but it does rhyme or anything. It wasn't that at all. It was, it was simply the subject I liked most. It was as base as that.
0: It's so interesting you brought up a teacher, um, actually still Facebook friends with Miss Duke, Linda Duke, who I know listens to the show every now and then. And she made a tremendous impact because it was really the only class outside of acting, which I was very into in high school and playing baseball that I cared about. And it sticks with you. And my parents also have and my grandfather had some really interesting parts of history that they were involved in. So I, I totally get that. So just when you think you knew everything about Abraham Lincoln, this, this book comes along and kind of just blows the reader away. And I have to say, it might bother my buddy Harlan Coben. We go to a lot of Bruce concerts together, Harlan. But right now, I got to say, The Lincoln Conspiracy, kind of my favorite book of the year. So maybe, Harlan, you want to get rolling on the next one.
1: By the way, we should text. Harlan is my closest friend in this industry. I literally call him my big brother. He's my big brother. Not just because we look alike or because he's taller, but he's truly been one of my nearest and dearest. And I can't wait for you to text him and tell him that we said on the air that this was his favorite book of the year when his book just came out.
0: So that'll, that'll bring great joy to all of us. I will. And you have beaten him to the punch, to be on, financially speaking. He's a busy guy. I mean, we've we've spent a lot of time at a lot of Bruce concerts, and I just saw him recently at the, I guess it was the New Jersey Hall of Fame, which he was inducted a few years ago, but we were at a little after party for that. He's just such a great guy. I am not surprised the two of you guys knew each other, which is one of the reasons, actually, I threw that line in. So when I was talking about Lincoln, let's start off with how the book starts, because this thriller... It starts out on a train with four really interesting characters. So maybe take us through a little bit of chapter 1 to set the stage?
1: Sure. I mean, let's let's set the real stage up. We all know the story of John Wilkes Booth ending Abraham Lincoln's presidency. This is not that story. This is actually the story of the first secret plot to kill Abraham Lincoln at the very start because in order to go and be sworn in as America's 16th president, Abraham Lincoln had to take a train. From his home in Springfield, Illinois, to Washington, D.C. And at the time, if you wanted to go there, you had to go through Baltimore. But Maryland was a slave state. So the plot to kill him was very simple. A secret society planned to murder Abraham Lincoln when he came through Baltimore and end this presidency before it began. So here's the beginning: is you're on a speeding train, it's the middle of the night. There are, as you said, four passengers who are on there among many passengers before we're focused on. There are two businessmen, there's a woman and there's her. Invalid brother, but none of them are who they say they are. The businessman is famed detective Alan Pinkerton, head of the Pinkerton Detective Agency. The woman is Kate Warren, America's first female private eye. And her so-called brother is not her brother much and nor is he an invalid. That's actually Abraham Lincoln. He's in disguise. They put him in disguise, they give him a code name, they whisk him away in the middle of the night, and they are determined to keep him away from this secret society and save his life. And I just ruined chapter one of The Lincoln Conspiracy, but well worth it.
0: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And it was, boy, that I didn't need much to get into that book, but that first chapter just really did it. When you wrote The Washington Book, were you aware of this Lincoln Conspiracy? how do you do your research?
1: Yeah, you know, the one benefit of being obsessed with obscure history is that there's just a lot to draw on. And over the years, you just, you know, you read thousands of pages and thousands of footnotes, and you're just going to find good stuff. So I knew the story we had done previous to the Lincoln conspiracy. As you said, we did the first conspiracy about a secret plot to kill George Washington. And I'd be a liar if I didn't say we wanted to top that one. So how do you top George Washington? Obviously, Abraham Lincoln is the way to go. So but the reality was. Josh mentioned I, who I co-wrote the book with, he was our executive producer on Lost History, our best researcher, our best writer by far. And as he, you know, it's very titillating for me to come on here, Mitch, and say, hey, we found the secret plot to kill Abraham Lincoln. But the reason that Josh and I took this concept and turned it into a book was because of the time period it was in. This is the beginnings of the Civil War, the first early days of it. And it's a moment where America is just cleaved in two. We, whatever side you're on, you hate the other side. Whatever side you're on, you think the other side are complete and utter morons. Does that sound familiar to you? That's exactly where we are as a culture right now. And Josh and I, I remember being on the phone and saying, you know, we, there's lots of good Lincoln stories out there but this is the one where we can really show what a good leader does in a time when the country is divided. And what Abraham Lincoln does in that moment isn't divide us further. He unifies us, right? He, he unites us. That's what Abraham Lincoln does. And and I think to us, that was the better context for telling this entire story.
0: Yeah. And that that's really, I think, one of the reasons that this just resonates not just to history geeks like us, but I mean, it really, really tells a story and, and it's so important. When I was thinking about the research, I was wondering if you had to climb through any tunnels. I know you did that once under the Capitol, <laughs> one of your past shows.
1: Yeah, no, I, listen, I, I I definitely like to think of myself as Indiana Jones, where I'm crawling on my hands and knees through cobwebs to find arcane information and present it to you. But The reality is, is I certainly made my trip always to the National Archives, but so much of it is online. And I wish I was Indiana Jones, but Josh is an incredible, you know, he can just find these obscure things that people can't find. And I've been lucky enough to get some, the archives have given me the Grace Bedell story that's in there. The archives gave me years ago, which I just love, which is Lincoln at the beginning when he's running for president. He's clean shaven at that point. And this little 11 year old girl writes him a letter that says, you know, I don't know if you're going to win, but if you grew a beard, I think you'd have a better shot. And he basically writes back to her and says, you know, thanks for the advice. And I'm going to take your advice. He then starts growing America's most famous beard in history. And when his train ride comes through Grace Fidel's small hometown, she races out to see him. And has flowers in a hand, and, and no one knows really if if that was the influence or not. But when he sees her, he sure enough says, "Hey, Grace, this is the beard. I it's your beard that you, you know I grew for you." And that's how America gets you know the most famous beard in history is an eleven year old girl writes to him, and the National Archives actually has the letter. So when I went there, it's not on display, but the archivist showed it to me when I was there in the back, and I just I was like, "This is an incredible story. We have to put this in there."
0: Absolutely, no, I I didn't know the story. Just really. Thought it was terrific. And that's, that's really cool. You got to see the letter. Every book has its hero. Yeah, it's a book about Lincoln, but there's a little known character that you have in here named Kate Warren. What made her so special? What kind of drew you to her to have her play such an important role in this book?
1: Yeah, so Kate Warren is one of my favorite heroes in the entire book. When she's 26 years old, she walks into the Pinkerton National Detective Agency. She'd seen an ad in the newspaper for looking for detectives, and she says, I want the job. And Alan Pinkerton looks at her and is like, you should be the secretary. You're not going to be a detective. This is a time in, in American history where no one's hiring female private eyes. No one's hiring women in law enforcement. But Alan Pinkerton is talking to her, and she says to him, you know, here's why I should have the job. I should have the job because men brag when they talk to me. They boast and they say things that they won't say to you. And God bless Alan Pinkerton, but in that moment, full credit to him, he realizes she's right. That people are gonna talk to her in a way that they're never gonna talk to him. And it reveals a great deal, not just about how amazing Kate Warren is, but about Alan Pinkerton, because Alan Pinkerton's real power and his greatest strength is that he infiltrates your life. He finds out who your friends are and where you hang out and where you live, and he will literally rent the apartment next to you, become friends with you, start working where you work, start drinking where you drink until you're great friends. And then you will start telling him things you would never tell anyone else, but you're great friends. And it sounds, oh my gosh, how could anyone fall for that? You're in the bar and someone says they hate Abraham Lincoln. And you're like, oh wait, I hate Abraham Lincoln too. Let's be friends. And that sounds so silly and naive, but that's because back in 1860 and 1861, they had not watched 50 episodes of Law and Order.
0: Yeah. Or Columbo or Mannix or
1: or Columbo. And they didn't know what a honey trap was like. They didn't know any of this stuff. So Alan Pinkerton hires Kate Warren. She becomes America's first female private eye. And she's the one who's put on this case to protect Abraham Lincoln. And the one who gives him his code name, helps him get into disguise, potentially saves his life. She becomes a footnote to history, but not to me. And when you read the Lincoln conspiracy, you will certainly see it. I'm glad it jumped out as you as well. It was one of our favorite people to write about
0: really really did you know it's hard to imagine a more tragic life than that of Lincoln and it's always always amazed me you know losing his mother his sister while being so young and poor and losing his son having a wife that lost her mind and then you know that whole Ford's theater thing it's just really incredible when you think about it he was able like we talked earlier to lead America through well let's say our first darkest period let's hope we don't not living through our second one What character traits do you believe that allowed him? to deserve that spot on Rushmore?
1: For me, we all know the end story of Abraham Lincoln in terms of, obviously, Emancipation Proclamation, the slaves get free, we win the Civil War, and that's beautiful, that's the great story. But what impresses me and what I love about this story of Abraham Lincoln is this is Abraham Lincoln at the start of his journey. So when he even gets the nomination, you know what he's doing, right? He's in an alleyway playing handball That's what he does when he finds out he's nominated for the presidency. He's a regular guy. He makes mistakes. He doubts himself. He's so disorganized, they lose the inaugural address, the first draft of it. And to me, that's what I love. I love seeing that he can start as that and and come forward. But to directly answer your question, it's not leadership. It's not about, you know, I think Abraham Lincoln understands that leadership is not about being in charge, it's about taking care of those in your charge. And that's what you see. You'll see over and over in the book, we show a lot of stories when he's younger, where he's riding on horseback and he sees a baby bird fall from a tree. And him and his buddies, he stops everyone and says, wait, I got to put the bird back. And they're all like, what are you stopping us for? We're flying on horseback. Why would we stop for a bird? And Lincoln says, you know, if I didn't stop, I won't be able to stop thinking of this bird. And to me, that's what makes him great. And what also makes him great is the fact that he knows that he doesn't know everything. That is the sign of a smart man. Anyone who says, I know it all, or I have all the answers, that is not the smartest person in the room ever. The smartest person in the room is the person who totally understands that there are things you can't possibly know and you need help on. And it's why Abraham Lincoln gets to be who he is because he relies on people like Frederick Douglass to help him evolve in his thinking and the way he views slavery and the way he approaches what freedom really means in America. That's why he's great. can see something beyond himself. And that is something that is lost today on, as you know, many politicians.
0: Very, very sure. So interesting because a past guest of mine said the smartest person in the room is the room, which I thought was also a really interesting comment that I started thinking about a lot after she mentioned that. Speaking of heroes, you've said, we believe ordinary people change the world. And that led to your children's book, to the IM series. So let's talk briefly about those books for a minute, because I really wanted to make sure we captured that a little bit and, and the response that you've gotten from those over the last few years. And I want to point out one thing to the listeners. Recently on Brad's social media, not sure if it was on LinkedIn, Facebook, it was somewhere, but you had one of those heroes who's actually an upcoming guest of mine, Billie Jean King, who was part of our UBS's Together Band program having to do with sustainability. But you had Billie Jean King reading your I Am Billie Jean King book from her home to entertain us one evening during our quarantine. And I just happened to have caught that as it was happening. Wow. That was, I mean, it's just nuts.
1: Yeah, I no, so you know. So we started this book series because I was tired of my own kids looking at reality tv show stars and people who are famous for being famous and thinking that's a hero. I wanted to give my kids better heroes to look up to. Heroes of generosity and kindness and perseverance. And how do you teach that in this world where every day we're all so focused on ourselves, especially with social media? And so we started with I am Amelia Earhart and I am Abraham Lincoln. We did I am Rosa Parks and I am Albert Einstein. My son loves sports. I know you're a big sports fan and but I wanted to show them, you know what, a million dollar paid athlete, that doesn't make you a hero, that just makes you famous. You want to meet a real hero? I wrote I am Jackie Robinson. And, you know, my daughter who loves animals, I did I am Jane Goodall. We did I am Helen Kellew, and we put real braille in the book so the kids could feel the dots and see it go. So I did I am Lucille Ball for my daughter because I wanted her to have a female entertainment hero who wasn't just famous for being thin and pretty. That Lucille Ball stood for the idea that it's okay to be different. In fact, it's spectacular to be different. We don't celebrate that often anymore, but we need to. And something amazing happened, Mitch, with our when the 2016 election was getting closer in October, September, October, November of that year, as Hillary and Donald Trump were arguing every night on television, something amazing happened with the books. Two books started selling more than any others. And they were, I am Martin Luther King Jr. and I am George Washington. And it wasn't a Democrat or Republican thing. It was that parents and grandparents on both sides were tired of turning on the TV and seeing politicians and what they wanted to show their kids were leaders. And we all know there's a huge difference between a politician and a leader. So I love the fact that since then, people use our books to fight back against the cynicism. They buy I Am Marie Curie to teach their young girls science. They buy I Am Walt Disney to teach creativity, which is what I wrote it for, for my young creative son. The new one we just did is I am Leonardo da Vinci to show what thinking differently can actually do. And we have Walter Isaacson blurb the book for us. And it was, you know, incredible. And, and yes, we did Billie Jean King and Billie Jean King was reading it. And, you know, and it's one thing, if I mess up Abraham Lincoln, what's he going to do? But I mess up Billy Jean King. She's coming to my house with a tennis racket. You know, you don't want to mess up. So she's been so supportive, so kind. One of the most amazing, like, Friendships we've been able to make over the course of doing this. Jane Goodall proved her book, which was wild, but you know it's it's still Billy Jean King. I mean, I was a little kid remembering Billie Jean King crushing all comers, and that was obviously a fantastic work. Yeah,
0: That's big moments in our lives. And as you were talking, I was thinking, and I don't usually think about Bonnie Tyler, but I was thinking about looking out for a hero from Flashdance. I don't think Bonnie Tyler had another hit, but the world really is is holding out for a hero but but it's footloose footloose not flash dance oh my god that was a typo no no it's footloose i literally was a typo i caught it an hour ago and when i was writing it and i
1: only said that because i know judd's going to be listening and if i don't correct that he's going to take it out on me
0: no 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 i and i'd be really mad if if one of us didn't catch it but of course it's footloose but yeah we are holding out for a hero and it'd be interesting to see the Brad Melters of 2070, who they're going to be writing about, because it's a tough list. I mean, I can think, you know, certainly think of some names, but not that many as you were able to come up with, certainly in the last, maybe in the last 25 years, at least. I mean, they're they're there and, you know, right now they're nurses and they're the woman at the Trader Joe's that, you know, I've been dealing with, who's amazing. I mean, so we're all different types of heroes.
1: Well, that's the point of the series, right? That the point of the series is heroes really affect us deeply. They truly do. I mean, one of my favorite parts of the Lincoln conspiracy is when they tell Abraham Lincoln that there is actually a plot to kill him. They finally got to go and tell him. It's the middle of the night. He's exhausted from a day of shaking hands. And they go and say, Listen, sir, we, we have a plot. They're gonna kill you. Skip your event in Philadelphia tomorrow. Instead, we're gonna take care of you and we want you to, you know, we'll get you out of there early. And Lincoln says, I'm not missing it. Now, here's the key part about the hero. Why has he not missed that event in Philadelphia? Because he doesn't want to miss in Philadelphia the next day, they are celebrating Abraham Lincoln's hero, a man named George Washington. And he, no way is Lincoln missing the birthday party for George Washington to celebrate the birthday. He's not going to miss it. And he goes there the next day and God bless Josh Mensch, He found the actual speech that was given on that day. And Lincoln goes down to Independence Hall, has this big event in Philadelphia, talks about how in the Declaration of Independence, everyone needs to have an equal chance in America. And he says that if we can't save the country without that principle, and then Abraham Lincoln pauses and he says, I was about to say that you should assassinate me on this spot rather than surrender. And I love the fact that in that moment, Abraham Lincoln knows there's a plot to kill him, but he's still there. And I won't ruin the ending, but that's soon after that is when they whisk him away and uh, you'll see how in the book, how they do it. But to me, it's Abraham Lincoln's hero that makes him make that decision. And so our heroes have a real impact on us and they don't have to be famous. They could be, as you said, the woman at Trader Joe's or the nurse. And these days, it's really easy to see how human heroes are. And that's always been our goal, not to, we make a mistake with our heroes. What we do in America is we take our heroes and we build these great monuments and then we go worship and we do our heroes a huge disservice because we forget that they're human. And I love the fact that when you see Abraham Lincoln second guess himself in this book, and you see him make mistakes at the beginning of his career, it's just proof that he, like all of us, we're all scared. And we are amazing. We are all terrified. And we were all brave. Some of us all within the same couple of days, some of us all within the same couple minutes, especially these days. And that's not a bad thing. That just means we're human.
0: It's true. And as we're talking, I'm thinking of I am Malala and I am Greta, just <laughs> right off the bat.
1: Right. I mean, right. I mean, Malala, when you started talking, I was like, Malala is right here, man. And she's, you know, 18 years old, 17 years old.
0: Yeah. At last My my wife works at Time Magazine and every year, obviously the person of the year is being decided. And, and she knows that I'm not one for for holding secrets. So for years and years, she would never tell me. She just could not trust me. But finally, about five years ago, she started trusting me. And this year, last year, I started lobbying her maybe in February for Greta. I mean, I just, that's all I talked about. Do you see what Greta did today? Let's talk about Greta. Well, about Greta? This would happen. That would happen. This would, you know, all these things would happen, and I was, was so happy to see that because these everyday heroes deserve what they get. And you know what? You've been a hero in what you're doing with your nonprofit work. You've been donating 10% of every dollar to help put full-time mentors in, in high-need schools. And you just did this campaign for bookstores. I think it ended yesterday, if I'm correct. I noticed on your your social media as they remain closed because of the virus. Just tell us a little bit about that. I thought that was really, really nice what you did.
1: Yeah, no, listen, bookstores, especially independent bookstores, are struggling. Barnes & Noble is struggling. Bookstores are struggling. Our local independent bookstore is Books and Books here in Florida. It's one of the greatest bookstores in the country, and I know the owner, and I've known him for years. He gave me my first shot, and I felt like you know what? We're going to do something nice for him. So I went on my social media on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, and I said, "If you want a copy of any of the books I have done, I'll personalize it for you. Just order through the store; they'll drop it off at my house." At this time, when you can't get a signed book anymore, and I figured, you know, we do it every book, and we, you know, we we'll get like fifty people, hundred people, a hundred books sold. They showed up at my house. They had to take a van. It was over eight hundred books. It took me seven hours to go through what everyone had bought. But it was so great, and it brought so much business in for them. And I was so happy. So we, we obviously did it again for the Lincoln Conspiracy. And I will say, anyone who's listening to this and wants a signed copy, I signed an extra 75 copies. So maybe there's like 75 copies left there right now, and that's the end. So it's just been a really great thing. And whatever, this, it's so easy to do. I'm just scribbling my name over and over, uh, but it's, but it really helps books and books.
0: Well, it means a lot. It's it's actually, for Mother's Day, we have a town bookstore, which is really one of the few that survived around here. We have a great one in a town near us in Maplewood, and then we have a really wonderful one here. Oh, you have Words. Words, yeah, of course. Everyone knows Words. They're terrific, and I love supporting them. But I live in Westfield, so... I support our town bookstore, and I knew my wife was looking for these two particular cookbooks, and I could have had it on Mother's Day by ordering on Amazon. It wouldn't have been any problem, even with everything going on. But you know, I called them. I said, just get it for me. And literally, while we're talking right now, my, my daughter just went over to pick them up. We just let her know yesterday, and you got to support these local bookstores. It, it just means so much. So this being a show with the word financial in the title, I, I guess I should at least ask It's not really a financial question, but what advice would you give to the writers out there trying to decide if this is a good career choice? I mean, this is a really strange moment in American history as people are graduating in their living rooms and commencement speeches are being done via Zoom and everything else. But there are a lot of people that are, you know, that are thinking about writing as a career. And any advice if you were giving one of those commencement speeches?
1: I firmly believe And I've given a commencement speech, and the one thing I said in it is it's actually a speech how the hardest thing to ever do in your life is to admit what you love. That's the hardest thing in life. Because if you admit what you love, you open yourself up to not having it. You open yourself up that if you don't get it, you're brokenhearted. So we try not to admit it too hard to ourselves, especially the really hard things. But you need to. Life is a trapeze. You need to leap. It's not an escalator where we, you know, we think we treat life as as an escalator, right? You're gonna go do well in high school. You'll get in a good college. You get in a good college. You go to good grad school. You go to good grad school. You get a good job. Like that's the escalator. That's the one we take. Just keep riding it to the top. But eventually, life is not a meritocracy, and it doesn't guarantee you anything. Life is not an escalator. It's a trapeze. So I tell people you got to take that big leap and find to what you love. And for me, it was writing. It's certainly not a the soundest career for me, but I was young and I was determined and I got 24 rejection letters on my first book. And there were only 20 publishers and I got 24 rejection letters. So some people were writing me twice to make sure I got the point. But I knew it was what I loved. And the week after I got my 23rd and 24th rejection letter is when I started my next book, which wound up becoming the first one published. I said if they don't like that book, I'll write another. And if they don't like that, I'll write another and and I got lucky. So I do think you have to admit what you love. I think it's very important.
0: That's probably going to be the answer to my final question, but I'll ask it anyway. It's a Tim Ferriss question and you may even be in Tribe of Mentors, but I just love this question. So I throw it in every show. If you're given a billboard to leave the world, a a message right now, what would be on that billboard and why?
1: Ordinary people change the world. That's it. I don't care where you went to school. I don't care how much money you make. That's nonsense to me. I believe in regular people and their ability to affect change in this world. And it's why I believe in you know, a young kid with a baby bird named Abraham Lincoln or anyone else we've talked about today, including Superman. To me, the most important part of the story is not Superman. The Most important part of the story is Clark Kent. Why? Because we're all Clark Kent. We all know what it's like to be boring and ordinary and wish we'd do something beyond ourselves, but we can. And that's what I would, I would lead people. You need to, you need to know your own power.
0: So who wins? Does the Hulk win? Does Superman win? I mean, do you ever solve those questions? Superman wins. No, I know the answer. Superman always wins. Superman always wins. I'm with you.
1: Superman wins. Not not always, but he does always win against the Hulk.
0: Yeah, I I think he does. I'm Um,
1: saying that just to aggravate my friend. Yeah,
0: well, I'm a Batman guy. You know, Batman and Superman are just true heroes. And meeting Adam West at Chase Stadium, I think it was in 1983 at a Met game and he was signing something. And I've met everybody working for Larry King. I mean, just, you know, hanging out with Bruce Springsteen. I mean, I've been very fortunate in my life, but meeting Adam West to me, even though I don't have a picture with him and whatever, it just, it's just one of those moments in time that and maybe Sid Caesar, which was pretty cool. But, you know, I met Batman and sadly, none of us got the opportunity to meet George Reeve. He didn't give us a real chance, but I guess a few others have have given that a shot. Brad, Thank you so much, my friend, for taking the time to chat today. And please, everybody, run, do not walk. Get the latest book, The Lincoln Conspiracy. We're going to link it all up for you in the notes. But if you are a history nut like me, you may have already read you may have already read it. But if you haven't, go get it. I got to be very different, obviously, doing this book tours virtually, by the way. You're used to speaking at bookstores and you know, having big crowds. That's the way
1: it goes. Welcome to it.
0: Yeah, exactly. Well, I'm sure there are no shortage of conspiracies out there to write about. So we look forward to seeing whatever's going to be next. And I thank you and your associate Aileen for helping make this happen today. I'm going to end with my favorite Lincoln quote, whatever you are, be a good one. And as I always say, when it comes to saving for your future, pay yourself first. Have a great week.